Hey, welcome back. I'm glad we've found each other again. This is uh, podcast episode four. It's going to be a post-planned demic recalibration. If you're looking for the links that I mentioned uh, in the show notes, you can browse to synthesismeaning.me on the website. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Please enjoy. Okay, um, this is going to be podcast episode four. After a major hiatus, I will call this uh, post-plandemic recalibration. <laughs> and uh, wow, I've got a lot to get off my chest, but I will keep it less than an hour. That's my uh, commitment. So I've got a number of stories to tell, but I will focus um, today on getting caught up with me and my adventurous journey. Um, I just think it's um, it, it sets the context for the rest. <laughs> and, uh, and then these sources that I've found uh, through this past six, eight weeks... Uh, I found great solace in a number of great voices, new ones, some of them, many of them new to me. And uh, so I'll, I'll share those sources as well. And then also I'd like to talk about um, just some of what I would see as some root causes of the uh, predicament we're finding ourselves in here today. So um, where to begin? I've got... Uh, I will. I, I'm also because of my situation. I'm a I'm a economic refugee at the moment of sorts, and um, so I will. This could this could be my future platform. <laughs> this could be my main thing for some time now, and uh, and I'm just so grateful that I have it actually. And so uh, I will. So I'll, I'll re- retune the podcast a little bit. Definitely, but also um, I'll, I'll put. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of crypto now. I've woken up to that, so I'll share a little bit of that as well. But uh, I will accept crypto for if you'd like to hear more of this. I'm. I've had to leave a lot of my equipment behind, and oh, pretty well everything. I'm working on ten-year-old gear here now, but um, that's all right. Uh, so I'll. I'll, I'll set up a crypto contribution button and um, and eventually maybe even do uh, something that Mark Passio does, which is like identify a, a store of equipment that I could really use to keep me going here <laughs> in case you're not comfortable sharing cash, you know, if you want to contribute uh, a microphone or something like that. Anyway, we'll get to that. But uh, first, I'd really like to reconnect and I, uh, I hope, like me, um, I'll find some new audience. Uh, uh, not nothing wrong with the old audience, but uh, find some new um, seekers out there. Uh, so let's see where where uh, maybe I, maybe I'll start with the dot connectors because I think that that's that's really really 
been critical to me on my level setting. Um, well, no, I think I, <laughs> I'll change that because I'll, I, you have to understand my mindset uh, that I got myself into to find out to, to, to really appreciate how valuable some of these some of these voices and sources and uh, YouTube channels have been during this time. So why don't I start with that? Um, I have had a bit of a luxury. I've had a lot of luxuries in this last eight weeks that most people could not possibly have had. But um, one of my luxuries has been, because I live away from my family and I had a long commute since uh, October, I've been having a very long daily commute, um, I have had the chance to go back in the Mark Passio material. And I, I, I just recognized the truth in what he was saying, and I recognized the truth in his emotional charge, uh, his outrage. And uh, so I was going in reverse order on his shows, and uh, I think I started at whatever it was, 229 or something. And, uh, and I'm down to something like number 140. So I've got about 70 to go um, to get to the ones that I originally followed three or four years ago. So uh, I've almost completely reviewed his entire podcast history. And the reason I'm mentioning that isn't so much about Mark, but it's about um, that I, uh, Mark gets to the bottom of the matter psychologically he get, and philosophically. He gets to the base as near as I could say. And he also is in touch with the outrage. So uh, I get suspicious of people that have, that have only one of those. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so I recognize the truth in that and I recognized like in my experience, how far off we had gotten to civilization wise or in terms of the civilizations I was inter interfacing with. And, uh, and so I had this luxury to be able to listen to these long podcasts on a daily basis. I was probably able to get through three or four per week. And uh, so that was fantastic, and I, I get, the luxury was more that I was able to very, very quickly get my own philosophy uh, grounded. It wasn't perfect, for sure, but if I, you know, the one gift I've had through this whole experience is um, that I was able to recognize it. It took me a long time. I still can't believe it took me as long as I did for what it was, <laughs> but uh, once I saw, for, saw it for what it was, my decision-making was very good because my philosophy was very good and I was paying attention to the right indicators and the right channels. And so, not that I'm in a perfect situation, but I think I made a series of very good choices because of all of that. Now, you want to contrast that with a guy that has really saved me uh, in terms of his broadcast, in terms of sense-making, I think that's a really good expression, for, uh, for Jeff Berwick in Mexico City. So he's a guy that uh, maybe five years before me, he, he w woke up. So say I, I was relatively red-pilled five years ago, he was re red-pilled ten years ago. So, but, it, but the difference between us is he was able to reinvent himself in perfect alignment with his red pill. 
So he lined up his business, he lined up his family, he lined up where he lived, he lined up um, his financial situation with, with the way he was seeing the world. And my failing was I kind of kept doubling down on my own understanding, but I didn't bring the rest of it in alignment. And I was procrastinating. I'm a bit of a procrastinator as it is anyway. But I was procrastinating um, lining up my work life. You know, the, the, the podcast and the platform and the, and the Facebook community and the website, all of that was my first steps towards lining up myself with my red pill but I was doing it part-time because I just I didn't have the imagination to to see how I could reinvent myself professionally in a way that I could sustain the commitments in my life I think that's probably the best way so I'm not making excuses because wow my whole world would have been a whole lot easier if I was able to do what Jeff did five years ago instead of have to scramble when uh, this whole thing broke, but uh, the the but the gift I had was that I had my philosophy straight. Relatively, <laughs> I, I've still got a little ways to go, but or probably a long way. If, you know, it's a never-ending journey. But um, but having my philosophy straight has helped me make some good decisions and have some real insights through this process. And so uh, the rest. The family, the geography, the the um, future vocation, whatever that may be, can now follow because I had my philosophy straight and I was able to make some pretty good decisions. Let's hope, okay? <laughs> but there's a journey to. So let's let me back up. Let me just explain, and I'll try and do this in a condensed fashion. Uh, but it's interesting and it's relevant, so I think you'll you'll enjoy it. So. Um, I uh, I woke up in Bahrain. I, I spend a lot of time there. I, I rent a room from a friend there, and um, and the, I think that was maybe March seventh, uh, March seventh, yes. Uh, and that's really. I mean, the the thing was percolating. You know, you could hear it in the news, and it was getting bigger, and and then there was like a dispute about uh, between Russia and. Saudi on oil pricing and there's all this was in the news um, so that you could you could hear the rumblings of kind of big things happening but I, I don't know I just never I never saw it coming that way quite so quickly but I woke up on the morning of the 7th with a flurry of messages that said um, you got to get back to uh, to your work in Saudi uh, or you're going to get locked out of the country. They're closing the land borders today. So that gave me an adrenaline rush of like, wow, I didn't see this coming. Um, I've got to decide how to how to respond to this. And it would, to me, it was a no-brainer because I had a vacation planned on the Thursday, the uh, 12th. So I, it was a no-brainer. I, I just I, I was reluctantly. I kind of just vegged out for a couple hours and then reluctantly packed a bag and headed to the border. Changed my my idea of what my weekend was going to be, <laughs> but I didn't want to get stuck out. I didn't want to leave it to the last minute. So I got across around two in the afternoon, and uh, Sunday's our work day. So um, so that was all fine, and I chilled and just tried to relax into the situation. And I, I really wasn't that phase. I was just like, I'll take five days in Saudi. I've got my 
vacation with my family on Thursday and um, and I can handle this for five days and then I'll get a clearer perspective when I'm on my vacation. I really didn't think it was going to affect me very personally very quickly at all. But then as the week progressed, you know, the news continued to amplify and it continued to get closer and closer. And by about Tuesday, it was starting to seem irresponsible for me to plan to take that vacation because airlines were canceling the return flights. So I was starting to be clear that I wasn't going to be able to return to work at the end of my leave. And uh, on top of that, things were happening in Canada. Events were canceling and transport were, you know, borders were closing. Not quite borders closing, but, you know, they were starting to have restrictions there as well. So my, and I mean, still, you know, I still didn't see the full scope of things at that time. But so my thinking then was, well, why don't I save money and hunker down, you know, kind of double down. My employer will be pleased I didn't get caught out and, um, and my family will understand because her vacation is going to be disrupted anyway. And so anyway, so I, I pulled out of that. I'm going to try and speed this tale up, but, um, but by Thursday, so when I finished the work week, Thursday, Friday, still normal Saturday, Friday, we started getting some really stern messages, um, from a few different sources. And then like, I mean, domestically in the Gulf and then Saturday I woke up and I thought I've made a big mistake. This could be this could be a six, eight, ten week thing, and uh, I should be with my family. Um, I shouldn't be stuck. I shouldn't be quote unquote stuck here. This is going to get worse and worse and worse and more and more restrictive. It doesn't make sense to me to work from home um, when I should be vacationing with my family, even if it's a quarantine situation. <laughs> so the Saturday the fourteenth. Uh, um, I committed to, to get it to following through my vacation and it, and I didn't need anything, you know, corporate approvals and everything was all done. So, so, uh, because of my vacation was, I didn't have to, I have to re, I didn't have to begin that process again, the, in terms of the approvals and things. So my, I just committed to just, just get a plane out basically. And I was trying to do it in a really responsible, deliberate way. And so I planned uh, the end of business on the Sunday, which is our first day of the week, so I could explain to the employer and do it all properly. Well, uh, before the end of that day, before the end of that afternoon, Saturday, we got a message that said all all outbound flights are finished by 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. <laughs> so now I've bought and canceled two flights, and now I've got to find a flight. This is now Saturday afternoon. So I've got to find a flight out before 11 a.m. the next day. So I scramble on the discount airlines and, and through my shopping for flights over the weekend, I guess it was more on Saturday morning, uh, I could see like the, the best flights were just vanishing. So there were plenty of families and probably um, family men that were coming to the same conclusion as me. It's time, it's time to get out and, uh, and be with family during this time. So uh, I found one. I, I, I didn't want to leave it till Sunday morning. So I found one on Saturday night, 2 a.m. Saturday night. And uh, and in terms of my mental state at this time, I was still quite calm. But 
the adrenaline started going again because I'm like, I got 12 hours and, uh, you know, flights are being canceled left, right and center. I want to get out of here as soon as humanly possible and, you know, figure it out from there. And I, ne I never also dreamt that other Gulf countries, you know, that I could get to Turkey or I could get to Muscat or somewhere like that and, um, and get stuck there. That wasn't crossing my mind yet at all. So I just thought if I can just get to another Gulf country, I'll be able to manage all of this. So <laughs> 2 a.m. on uh, the, the night of Saturday, the 14th, basically, so it's Sunday morning, 2 a.m., I was meant to go connect through Turkey, and it was a fine itinerary. It, it would have been Dubai. It would have kind of sucked. It would have been stuck in the airport for 12 hours, but I would have been in Dubai by Sunday night, and that was fine by me because Dubai seemed completely normal still at this time. So Bahrain locked down fast, okay? So during that week, I was able to see Bahrain locked down. Now I'm seeing over this weekend, like Saudi is bringing the lockdown down just like Bahrain really, really quickly. So uh, I um, so I go to the airport around 11 in the evening on the Saturday the 14th and wait in line forever for my boarding pass. And I didn't actually clear security and immigration because they wouldn't print our boarding passes because they were waiting to hear from the airline. And... They separated us into two lines, people that are returning to Turkey and people that are onward connecting to Europe or wherever else. And um, I didn't really see that as a problem when they separated us. I didn't know why they were doing that, but I didn't really see that as a problem. But I did see it as a problem that there seemed to be a certain lax, lackadaisical nature around the timing. Like they just weren't in a hurry to process us, and that was a concern. So they left us hanging for a couple of hours. And I would say through my entire journey and my entire six or seven weeks, whatever it's been since then, um, this time, that time on that night was the only time that I felt like I was surrounded by people that were starting to head towards fight or flight. You know, like we were starting to get into sort of a, a primal instinct psychology. It was close. It didn't, there weren't any real outbursts. But everyone waiting in that line for those couple of hours knew that this is their ticket out. And if they didn't get it, they could be really, really trapped inside Saudi, which, you know, everybody that's everyone that's committed to staying. No one was acting strange about that. There wasn't, you know, people were just planning on getting on with normal business. But the people that were in line for those boarding passes, we had all realized, probably for different reasons, that, uh, that it was really important to get out before the before the the uh, skies closed the next day. So I uh, I was like, oof, this doesn't feel good, man. This feels like it could turn into a mob situation. <laughs> Anyhow, it didn't. It didn't. The airline was under control. They just left us hanging, and I ended up making small talk with a couple of Europeans in that state, and uh, we were all in the same boat. I think they were Germans mostly, and. Um, and anyway, the airline said, sorry, Turkey's not accepting any onward passengers. So if you're planning to, to be onward from Turkey, you're going to have to go get a refund. So uh, so that was disappointing. <laughs> so now it's, say, it's around 2 in the morning. The flight was, I guess, 2.20, maybe 2.30. And, and I'm just thinking, I've got like, I've got less than 12 hours to get my next plan. And... I can see that the people that are trying to leave are in the same boat as me. So I just went to a little cafe just just near the uh, the ticketing area and uh, tried to be relaxed uh, 
and thoughtful and methodical about my next moves. And uh, the ticket that came up for me, I guess it, in retrospect, it maybe came a little too easily and I, I grabbed it a little too quickly, maybe. But it, it looked good. It looked good and safe. And it was basically um, take a domestic flight at 7 a.m. to Riyadh, the capital city. And someone somewhere along the way had told me that um, Riyadh's a good place to fly out of because it's so big and it's going to run like a normal uh a normal day they're gonna you know they're gonna run it like clockwork and so you're probably in a better state to get into a bigger airport like that and a, and a more traffic anyway so when I saw that it was a Riyadh flight I thought that was good and uh, so I got I bought it a domestic flight to Riyadh and then it was onward to Muscat and then from Muscat to Dubai um, just later that day, it was like a five-hour stopover. So it just looked, and Muscat's a beautiful place. <laughs> so it just looked fine, looked completely fine. It was a discount airline, Salam Air, I think. And uh, but it meant like I'm now three in the morning or three thirty in the morning. It meant I had to come back to the airport at five. So it was just like, okay, I guess I'm sleeping in my car. So I sleep in my car, and uh, and come back, and the domestic whole domestic thing worked like like clockwork it wasn't busy of course but it worked like clockwork and I got to Riyadh on time and no issues then I had to get over to the international terminal and that was all fine and the two ticketing women they had been working all night and everybody was a little bit worn out but they were really outstanding they really took some time to understand my case and make sure it was okay for me to get on get my boarding passes and get the my luggage on and everything I had a fairly big bag because I, because when I left Bahrain, I really loaded up. <laughs> so anyway, um, they cleared me. They called somebody important at the airline, and the airline said, "Yeah, no problem. Check him through to Dubai. Give him his two boarding passes." So that's it. It was like, it was like the flight was 10:30 or 10:45 in the morning, which is really cutting it close because 11 a.m. was the cutoff. But at this point, say it's around eight in the morning or something. And, uh, and I'm fine. I'm in the clear. I'm relaxed. And I'm, I've got my boarding passes. So I get up there and I'm relaxing and just waiting for the time to arrive and the, the plane to arrive. And I actually bumped into, looked like consultants that were very similar type of background to me. It just seemed like the way they were talking and the way they were acting. I would say they were Portuguese or Spanish. Uh, they were a mix. But anyway... The, 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 I guess you could say the mistake I made because Emirates was, you know, you, there was an Emirates desk. I just didn't, there were two other airlines that flew I, and I saw them go. I think one of them was Jordanian and one of them was Emirates during that time. And these consultants that I ended up sitting next to uh, while I was having a bite to eat, you could see in their faces. Like they were even talking and joking a bit, but they, they were just like, we got to get this flight. Like they, they realized the seriousness of, of getting out. And um, so it was really kind of funny. I guess it's still to this day. There's like two populations. There's a population that realizes like the, the curtains coming down. <laughs> and then there's a population that's just trying to get on with their normal business as much as possible. And for the ones that know the curtains coming down, it's dramatic. It's adventurous and dramatic. And it felt a lot like the, the image that kept going through my mind was uh, Ben Affleck trying to take the Iran hostages to... Uh, you know, trying to sneak them out because it was kind of like that because 
the whole world around us was still fairly calm. Um, but knowing what we know, you know, it's time to get out. This is like do or die, you know? So on the inside, you've got the fight or flight, like just under the surface. Um, but on the outside, you're just having a normal demeanor with normal, normal ticketing people, just having a normal work day, you know? So it was really an interesting, uh, contrast, but anyway, I will try and wrap up this part of the story, but, um, they, uh, I got up there waiting at the gate and, you know, by an hour before the flight's supposed to take off, you would expect a full crowd and crew and everything happening around the gate. And it just wasn't happening. There was a very, very small number of passengers. There was just 12 or 13 other guys and they all seemed to know each other. That's even more weird. So I don't even know. Anyway, they were, they were Islamic Indians and only one of them spoke English. And, uh, uh, but anyway, we were able to, to talk that way, and the airline really wasn't communicating very much. But the, uh, destined, the departure board was being updated fairly regularly. So, anyway, it was just not enough happening. And the time was coming, and then, say, around 10, the flight got postponed. So I'm like, once it got postponed past 11 a.m., I was like, wow, this is, could be really bad. But everyone's still acting normal. The airline's still like, no, no, don't worry, it's coming. And the other guys are still saying the same thing. But, you know, it's weird that we are, there's only that small number of passengers. Are they really going to break a rule for us? That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this really doesn't look good. But I, I, I guess I wasn't feeling the des quite the desperation. Uh, but, wow, am I ever glad I, I stuck to it. Anyway, so... Um, Uh, the, so then, anyway, the, the, the board keeps getting updated, and eventually it's supposed to, it says 1.30 or something like that. And the airline comes around and confirms. It's happening. It's on. They've approved us to, for takeoff. It's all good. And the crew comes, and the food comes, and the grounds crew comes, and everybody's getting ready for this plane to, to land and take off again. And so I'm like, well, hallelujah, uh, we made it <laughs> kind of thing, you know. You guys are going to be my new best friends. I'm going to hang out in Muscat for five hours, and I'll be in Dubai tonight. This is great. Anyway. They ended up, it ended up just leaving us hanging for like an hour and then coming over and saying the last minute it got, it got blocked for whatever reason, no explanation. So then I had to wait another hour to do the refund and exit, you know, because we had cleared immigration. So we had to exit back into the country. So now it's like three thirty, and, uh, and I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, in my mind, I've resolved to be very creative. You know, I've really, really committed to leaving now in many ways. And I'm willing to take whatever creative, if I have to like get on a FedEx cargo flight, I will, you know, this is how I'm starting to think. Um, but I was so lucky. I ran into these two senior ticketing guys that looked like they had just finished a long shift and they were going to go for a coffee and they're in really good spirits and I just and they were walking so they were basically started their coffee break you know they had left their desks and I ran into them in the in the hallway and I and I, and I asked them is there any way I can get out today and they said you only have one chance you got to get to Jeddah <laughs> okay so this is my third airport third city in in whatever 12 hours and uh, they said they're going to let Emirates fly out of Jeddah tonight. If you can get a seat on that plane and you can get yourself to Jeddah very quickly, you can still do it, basically. 
and I wanted to hug them and high five them. <laughs> but anyway, I, I really had to hustle. But the terminals are really far apart in these uh, in these cities. So I hustled to the domestic back to the domestic terminal. And uh, again, and from this from this point forward, every single person, airline, airport, security, every single person I interfaced with was unbelievably helpful. Like I, I had like a crew of 40 people that made and and the terminal transport guys as well, like and baggage people, like everything just lined up. Like the seas open to help me get on that flight. But anyway, I um, I get to the counter and I have to basically just pay cash at the counter for the ticket to Jeddah. And I sat down on something immediately after I saw those guys in the international terminal. I sat down and, and, and bought myself a very expensive ticket on that Emirates flight. Um, but I didn't care at that point. And uh, so I was just so so grateful so now my only thing is i gotta get to Jeddah on time so i get to the ticket counter at the domestic terminal and the guy was great and he said uh i'm almost breaking a rule here because this is cutting it too close but if you can get that boarding pass printed in 10 minutes and clear security you can get on that flight <laughs> so again i wanted to kiss the guy and uh so I, the guy the guy prints my the, i go to the place where they print the boarding passes and he he made it happen really fast, and he's like, go go go. <laughs> so uh, and the security, there's nobody around, so security, everything was painless. So I I got into the gate, like completely time. I, I actually had time for a tea, almost a sleepless night, you know. <clears throat> and um, and uh, and that was that was completely smooth. That that flight, domestic flight to Jeddah, was completely smooth on time. Everything was normal. And then I. Uh, I didn't quite know for sure the timing, but I was pretty sure that I had enough time. But I wasn't going to mess around when I landed in Jeddah. And Jeddah, the Jeddah airports, definitely the, the, the well, both. It's, they're just, it's just not the, the, the marble metropolis that the other two cities are. So it's, um, it's much less developed. And the travelers or the religious tourism travelers, so they're the poorest of the poor of all the Islamic countries that come for the religious tourism. So it's just a completely different atmosphere, but it's, it's not, there's no danger. It just feels a bit chaotic because, uh, because of, uh, you, you kind of have, feel like you've landed it more into a developing part of the country. Anyway, uh, so I land and then this guy, this bus. So just imagine like the knots in my stomach that I would just want to get my, Emirates boarding pass and just be waiting at the gate. That's what I where I want to be now. <laughs> and the and there's this terminal transport bus guy and I and he's like I gotta wait for until the bus fills up and I'm the first one there <laughs> and I'm like ah uh, you know I said I I'm I'm not I'm not okay with that wait I'll go get a taxi. He's like oh, well if you pay for I can't remember if you pay for two or three passengers we can go. <laughs> so I paid him cash. It wasn't it wasn't much. And he goes all right here we go. Anyway, just like, you know, any travel. So I guess the, the, the sort of the fun adventure had started because I, I just felt like I was close to the finish line at this point. Uh, just like any adventurous travel, this guy's like, ah, oh, this guy's paid me cash. And now I, owe, I don't know, he must have had a friend. He owed him dinner. It was something like that. So not only do we have this massive drive between the terminals in Jeddah, 
but uh, he also stop, he messages somebody to get him a takeaway burger or dinner meal, and so we go to one other terminal. He picks up the the thing so that when we get to the ultimate destination, he delivers this like kind of like a happy meal, I guess you'd say, <laughs> full meal deal to a friend at the other terminal. But anyway, that was just a comical <laughs> comical aside. He and I are in this empty bus doing this thing at the end of all this adventure. So anyway. Uh, I got there and um, by the time and I'm checking in and it just seems like I, I don't want to like raise any flags or anything and I'm just kind of everything's quite normal once I get to the international terminal except for the, <laughs> the fact that there's chickens and huge families and very very poor uh, travelers but <clears throat> anyway otherwise it's just it's just uh, feels like a, a random chaotic place <clears throat> well turns out <clears throat> I didn't know but I, through the frantic purchase of the ticket, I, the, the software pushed me towards buying a business class ticket. So I get into the Jetta departure business class lounge for Emirates, and it was really comfortable. And I'm just like, wow, I think I really feel like I made it. But I'm not talking to anybody until the wheels are up. You know, I'm not going to count my chickens here, so to speak. So uh, I had an hour wait and Wi-Fi and all these things. And... And there's other travelers there, but I'm, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want anybody to know any story. I don't want to cause any reason to raise any flags. Anyway, I um, I get we get on board on time, uh, and it's, it was just before I boarded actually that I realized it was a business class seat. Get into this beautiful business class seat. I wanted to kiss the crew. I wanted to kiss the passengers. I was just like, Hallelujah, I'm going to be in Dubai tonight. You know. And I can't remember if I watched the movie or if I had a... I definitely didn't have a drink. They don't have drinks on those. But anyway, um, I did message a a number of people. Took a picture of my boarding pass and my, my, like, armchair seat, you know, and all that. But I think I was just too much adrenaline to enjoy um, watching a movie. I, I can't remember. I was just trying to... I was mostly messaging people. Anyhow... So by midnight on the night of the 15th, I got to Dubai, and then I knew I had other decisions to make, and Canada was more and more restrictive, Um, and I FaceTimed my family the next day, and everything that I was going there for was being canceled, and there was not only that, there was a message that came through, I guess it was the following day, that said non-residents not allowed in in Canada, and that's what I am, I'm a non-resident citizen. Um, but I got really freaked out. I just thought I've seen now two countries locking down. It really looked to me like Dubai was going to follow suit very quickly within the next week. And so was Canada. And so I started asking myself really big questions. Like, even though, um, you know, it's nice to be with your family, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to help. I was just joining the lockdown, but I was just going to be completely unable to help that situation from there. That was my thinking. Because I thought, if this is the big one, and this is long-term, this is six months, locking down in Canada is problematic on so many levels. So I started to do like an open-ended analysis of where's the right place. And and this is where uh, Jeff Berwick came in. So I'll get to the sources recommendation. But I don't know what made me look at one of his newsletters before I left, but I think looking at his newsletter made me look at one of his YouTubes, I think. And 
anyway, he was really resonating with me, everything he was saying. And one of the things he was saying was, where you want to be now is you want to be somewhere that's got a reliable food supply, so like an organic farm or fishing village. You want to be somewhere that isn't going to break down if the banks close and the power gets switched off and the internet goes down. Like you want to be somewhere where the place functions outside of the matrix, basically, sort of. And um, anyway, he listed a whole bunch of things, but he was exactly... a lot. We were thinking in parallel. He had just thought about it further. So he more like validated my my thinking. Anyway, so I won't go into the details of where I ended up, but it was uh, in the same time zone. I'm in the same time zone as the Gulf. And, uh, and it qualifies for all of those criteria. And I think in many ways I've made a good choice. At this point, I really think I made I wish I could be with my family, but I wouldn't be able to help. I feel like I can help more from here, believe it or not, in terms of building a future. So, um, so that's where I'm at. And I was in a big city when I first arrived. And I really didn't think this country would fall for any of this stuff. But they have. So there's been curfews, and they're trying to do the mass thing. They're trying to do the Purell thing and all this palava. But um, but at the same time, the population, without exception, I haven't found anybody that says they trust their government, <laughs> even though they watch the nightly news. You know, it's such a funny dichotomy. But anyway, uh, so the fact that they don't trust the government and this and they work hand to mouth, like any developing nation, they work hand to mouth. So they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna stop driving their taxis. They're not gonna stop making their uh, food stands and uh, catching their fish and all these things, or uh, picking their coconuts. So uh, in that sense, I'm in the right place, even though they've gone along with a lot of the curfew-type stuff, and they're trying to do the masks thing, but the mask thing is failing. I don't think they're doing it. I don't think they're going to do it anymore. I think it was like two days. <laughs> but in the big grocery stores, they do. They are trying to enforce some of those crazy, crazy measures. So, um, so anyway, that's my that's been my journey, and I've had just the absolute luxury since March 17th, uh, excuse me, to be able to tune into these channels and really think more long term and try and invest in what the future is going to be uh, in the post pandemic. Okay. So that's where I'm at. And yeah, to just summarize in terms of, I really felt I was blessed with having my philosophy right. And I owed a lot of that. Uh, Peterson helped last year, but this year it was all about Passio and getting that, that sorted. Um, but I was definitely, I had a, I had a plan with Panama. Um, I had, I had some of the Jeff Berwick thinking working a couple of years ago and I followed through and I took a great initiative, but when this thing went down, it, it was too late to get to Panama. It would have been no better than trying to get to Canada, but, um, also Panama is no better than, uh, than these developed countries in terms of, it's probably worse. It's probably a lot worse in terms of the government clampdown. So, unfortunately, it wasn't the right place. And I, I did have the idea to get a place in Colombia. So, basically, have my legal status in Panama, but have, like, kind of my retreat or off-grid place in Colombia. That was what I was cooking in the back of my mind, but I just hadn't gotten to that for a bunch of reasons. So, 
So I didn't have operation, <laughs> operation plandemic ready to kick straight into gear. If I was perfectly together the way Jeff was, I mean, if I was perfectly together, I would have been, I wouldn't have had to go anywhere. It would have, this whole thing would have come to me. But the other option would have been having, having that escape plan ready and having my family ready to make the escape and maybe even having the tickets, maybe even having money and gold and silver already waiting, say, in a beach cabana in Colombia, in a isolated fishing village where you've got a food supply. I mean, that would have been really um, having the, my act together. If I wasn't, if I hadn't already built my life around it, at least have the operation uh, Valkyrie, <laughs> you know, or whatever that uh, that causes your entire life to come together in a place like where I am now. But we just didn't have that together. So I had my philosophies right, but it was just me. Okay, so that's gonna lead to some of the other things I have to say about uh, Passio's perspective and and where we're at right now. Um, let's see. I think maybe that's what I should do. I should talk about what I think the crux of the matter is today, where I think the tipping point is right today, and then uh, and then I want to share these sources and why I found them so valuable. And I also want to share like a bunch of sources that have been like, the biggest disappointment on God's green earth for me, okay? Not to mention, like, I've got switched-on friends, very switched-on friends. They have they have their heart and soul in the right place. They have their head in the right place. And they just, they because they trust TV, because they trust TV and they trust their government, they tip into the completely brainwashed side of things. And I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed with so many people. Um, not that I'm, I'm not really blaming them because I know you kind of are where you're at, but I guess it's just that when all the evidence around you is like this doesn't add up, I mean, that's when you got to start questioning your sources, right? And, and the reluctance of questioning their sources is unbelievable to me. So even though I, th I thought I had my philosophies right and I thought I had fairly red-pilled, I had no idea. I could never have conceived of how clueless the masses are and how stuck they are in in sticking with the mainstream quote-unquote authorities and I mean they'll tell them to walk off the bridge they'll walk off a bridge uh, most of them and it's it's really really shocking to me um, I'm not giving up on any single soul uh, even no matter how far gone they are but um, but wow are they ever far gone <laughs> so uh, here's the here's like two matters I think the crux of the matter I've had a little bit of an argument with one of my best friends of all time this morning on uh, WhatsApp and the reason is that I, uh, and and this is actually this ties into a few pieces but Mark Passio he's been saying I don't know maybe at least in the last five years maybe it's ten years he doesn't care I mean he really doesn't care what anybody thinks he doesn't care if he upsets people. He will not tolerate BS in his presence. And he'll strike up a conversation. If he's out at a bar or a cafe, he'll strike up a conversation with innocent bystanders and and he'll start an argument with them about, you know, about freedoms, taxes, you know, you name it, governments, mainstream media, all these things. And up until now, so I just listened to, um, it was a webinar for another source. So I'll list all these sources and, and kind of their positioning. But Kim and Ole, my friends in Europe, who are both outstanding, kudos to you guys, props to you guys. 
but they had a webinar uh, a couple of days ago and then they had they had a um, yeah it was it was the webinar that I'm referencing actually um, <clears throat> and on there they articulated extremely well my view of of that position you know Mark's like no don't tolerate bullshit even if it's silent bullshit even if they're sitting in silent bullshit it's your obligation as a good human being to 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 point out the um, contradictions in their belief systems. So he'll pick a fight with anyone and everyone verbally all day long. <laughs> you know, family, friends, in-laws, doesn't matter. And you know that sounded like too much to me. I'm Canadian. You know we're polite. And so uh, Kim and Ole articulated my view on this perfectly on this on this group call they did maybe two days ago. It's public. It's on their website. Uh, Light on conspiracies. But um, but they said, you know, everybody's on their own time. You seed, you might want to seed things with a question, but you don't want to bombard things. And they said they've got people that are good heart and soul, and they and they socialize with them, um, even though they're completely in the dark about uh, all of the machinations of conspiracy that are happening around us all the time. And that made sense to me because once you turn someone off of what you're saying. There, you know, there's a there's a counterproductive outcome of that, and that is they dig they double down on their worldview, and they cut off all communications with you, and they alienate you, and and think of all the reasons why you're the problem, not and not, and they don't look into the message. So that has been my worldview up until now. But I would say, just from my own friends list on Facebook, that I have dropped the ball. I needed to be more vocal uh, from the time I red-pilled in my own family, my own household. Same thing, like non-stop. And it bothers people, and it's uncomfortable. But uh, if you don't, what do you have? you got a bunch of sleeping sheep that are ready to take government vaccinations for a virus, quote-unquote, that hasn't been isolated. I mean, that's, a, that's just a recipe for... Well, dependence. I mean, it's it's exactly the Microsoft model, right? You get on the operating system, and then you're going to sell you upgrades forever. And the upgrades just could start coming every day. They could get you onto a uh, an upgrade delivery system of your vaccination that you have to take daily. They could be sedating you or whatever um, with injections. That's I mean, that's how it looks to me. That's where it's headed. Yeah, the movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale, that uh, tells the story. And the kids are policing the parents. And it's just, and, I mean, that's that's how it looks to me. They're talking about, oh, we get viruses every year. You're going to have to have upgrades every year. That, that could turn into daily doses of whatever they want to give you so fast. So um, so I, I guess I'd say I've I've been too Canadian on this matter, you know? I focused on myself and upgrading my own worldview, but um, and that served me well personally in this situation. But uh, the masses haven't benefited from from you know I've just let my sleeping Facebook friends continue to slumber in the dark, and now they you know it's a really hard time for people to to start rethinking their sources and rethinking their worldview at this exact same time they're in this lockdown they're you know people are playing on their fears and you know it's a really really hard time to swallow it all all at once so i actually fully understand that every waking 
every big red pill I've taken since 2005, I had to take a loan and I had to take it gently and quietly because it was, it's a humble pie for one thing. And also, um, somebody tries to push you, it's like they're pushing you off a ledge, right? So it's really, really, I've had the luxury of my own personal time to, to, to dig into these things. Um, and so it's really upsetting to swallow it all at once. Anyway, yeah, it's a fire hose situation. But um, but I guess I have to say, I, I mean, there's so many. I've already confessed to all my personal failings and my personal family and how I didn't have my work life aligned. I didn't have my lifestyle aligned. I didn't have my geography aligned. Uh, and so that's why I'm, I'm now isolated in a good situation, but I'm alone and the world is going off a cliff as far as I can as far as I can see, but there's hope. Don't worry. I'll finish this with a lot of good hope. Um, okay. So the, the argument I'm having with my friend, you know, and, and this is a guy with a very logical, rational mind, but he's working in the telecommunications industry. So I haven't looked deeply into the 5g thing. I just, there's enough smoke there for me to believe that there's something really nasty happening there, but he, it's his business. So, uh, but he's quite happy to, to take the corporate uh, messages he's getting and the, the mainstream media messages, and then he doesn't have to look further. You know, it's that there's an expression that's like, if your livelihood, and you know, trust me, I'm, I'm in a glass house on some of this, but if your livelihood depends on your ignorance, you're going to keep your ignorance, you know? So, um, but the reason I'm using this example is I think. He's a perfect example, and even some people in my own family are perfect examples of the tipping point of this thing. These are the people that they can smell the smoke. They know that the story doesn't add up. They know the measures don't add up. They know the data doesn't add up. They know the mainstream personalities they're shoving at you don't add up. But they just don't want the drama. They don't want the quote-unquote negativity. They, they don't want the social... Um, what do you call it? Outcast. They don't want to s experience any of that. So, uh, so they go on with their business and they hope that they don't have to make the choice to dig into some of this. This is what's happening. So it's those people, those kind of fence-sitting, good-hearted, good-minded people that they need a, just a barrage of reasons to get off their butts and do their own research and realize what's happening because those are the ones that are going to make or break this thing in the next couple of months. Um, so I guess I would encourage people on this channel probably are quite awaking and uh, I would encourage you just go ballistic. Don't, don't go ballistic on the person, but go ballistic on the thinking. You know, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't want to turn any of my best friends away. I've got some friends that are so loyal to the messages they're getting on CBC that they would have had me locked up by now if I was there, actually. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I, the day that those guys come around and start asking their own questions, I'm here for them. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, judging the soul, that's for sure. I'm here for them, but, but you got to go after the thinking. You got to just go ballistic on the thinking is every chance you get. That's my opinion now. I'm much more on the Mark Passio worldview on that now. So, um, 
so yes, I think that those fence sitters, those quiet fence sitters are the tipping point and that's where the focus needs to be right away. Okay. Uh, the last point I'll talk about before I close with my sources is um, this idea of a career. Okay. <laughs> Quote unquote. I had a chance while I was waiting for all those flights to listen to my old podcasts, the, the ones before Christmas. Um, and I'm, I stand behind everything I said. I think the content is really, really good. But the energy isn't quite right. It's a little bit wooden in a couple of spots. And they go on a little bit too long. And it's just, um, the energy is just not quite right. And I guess maybe it's because my whole world wasn't aligned. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's because I was kind of tying to myself to the notes a little bit too much. But the material is very, very good. And uh, everything I was saying is, uh, is true. Um, but the reason I'm, uh, talking about that is there is this one topic of career and I, I talked a little bit about millennials back then, but man, is it ever clear to me now this idea? I mean, I don't know when the word career was invented. I'm not sure, you know, in the fifties and sixties, if people were trying to have careers, right? Even the seventies, they were just having, trying to have secure jobs. Um, but the millennials are raised right now, and women, women and millennials are sold on this idea of career, quote unquote, like, like you, your career is the most important thing, okay? Like as if that exists. And, um, and I've heard guys, even these rebel wisdom guys, who I'll talk about here in a second, but I've heard them just rationalize the behavior of, of journalists, quote unquote, journalists, Oh, yeah, they have to do that because they're careers. Okay, so they're saying that, okay, you can just abandon professional, your professional um, ethics. You can abandon your human ethics all in the name of quote-unquote career. So getting the next post or getting the next promotion or the next bonus. Okay, how can you possibly have a professional career, quote-unquote, as a journalist if you're abandoning journalistic integrity in the process it doesn't exist how can you how can you even do that not only that i mean the idea of career gives you this idea that you have some control <laughs> over your journey like come on that's ridiculous too so they, they'll justify anything for that word and i think that that's the schism you know the, the word schism out of that whole unabomber talk the word schism is everything and we'll get into it further i think in future talks um, I've heard a really good case to be made that the schism starts right with language because there's a disconnect between the energetic, uh, your energetic uh, being and the being of, that has to process the word that, that expresses the energetic being. Okay, So, you know, if you're just kind of communing with an oak tree uh, energetically, that's one experience. But then you tell your child, yeah, that's an oak tree and that's an acorn or whatever. It, it, it becomes a total schism between the experience energetically of being with that, with that oak tree and between the knowledge, you know, the tree, uh, the biting from the, the um, tree of knowledge uh, of the word that's associated with it. Okay. So the, I think the Eckhart Tolle analogy was, is unbelievably outstanding and, and it's fake knowledge. Pat, Mark Passio has talked about this too. It's one of the most dangerous aspects of the human experience is fake knowledge. You get a word that fills a spot in your head and you think you know the topic. Okay. So that in the, the example that Eckhart Tolle uses is, um, 
child says to father, uh, why do the birds fly south in the winter? And the father says, oh, son, that's a good question. That's because of instinct. Okay, <laughs> so it's a one word answer to an unbelievably complex phenomenon. Okay, <laughs> and now the, the father thinks he handled the question. So he feels better about himself. And the, and the child now thinks that they know something. Because they got that word to fill that spot. Okay, investigation complete. It's because of instinct. Okay, so, um, so the schism. There is a great argument that says the schism starts with language, and if we were able to just energetically communicate, um, we could be way ahead of a lot of these problems. Because you can't lie if you're talking with energies, you know, if you, if you take language out of the picture. But anyway, that's a really, really deep topic, and it's, a, it's radical, I know. So I'm not ready to quite go there. But, um, but career, wow, is that ever a schism. When you're talking about putting your baby secondary to your quote-unquote career, that's a schism, right? That's a schism. You're choosing materialism over humanity, it's a split. So, so I just the, I just want to leave you with one thing that's happening I, because I, I'm going to cafes, and they're choosing to comply, quote unquote, with the most ridiculous measures. These are cafes that are dying. I mean, I can see these people's jobs are done within a month if you comply with all these ridiculous government measures that make no sense, and they're complying because they think that that's aligned with their quote unquote career. Okay, the, the number of people that I've seen that aren't making the connection with turning customers away is going to destroy my livelihood. That connection has somehow been broken because of this idea of career. Okay, there's one pizza place near me here. The woman is unbelievably commercially savvy. So I go anywhere near the place. She wants to crack me a beer and get me a pizza and she'll break all the rules to keep the business running because she knows that's her job. And if the revenues keep coming, then she gets to keep getting her wage. She, she's made that connection. She's, she's older. She's more mature. She's at least in her 30s. Uh, but most of these kids and the managers they work for haven't made that commercial connection. And they're doing what the hierarchy is telling them, which is completely destroying their own livelihood. They're turning away business because someone told them to in the name of quote-unquote career. It's so unbelievably ridiculous. So please just pay attention to this poison idea that's a poison pill. This, this idea of violating your conscience in name of career. Okay, That's just an excuse to follow orders. That's a, an excuse to follow immoral orders against the nature of humanity. Okay, <laughs> Personally. Not personally. I think I can almost make an absolute statement on that. Okay, so let's t turn it to later. The um, the uh, Ike interview on London Real yesterday, the third one, uh, was outstanding again. He was outstanding, and London Real just let him talk. And he know he's he, he sits. You know, you can see his posture. He's got his heart and soul and body connected with truth. And so he, that's why his words are so powerful. And, uh, and so I, that w Ike has been one of the best sources. Every, I've, I, I mean, I've gone back maybe six or eight months in some of his talks, 
because he's been right. He's been right. Let's be, let's just be frank. He's been absolutely right about everything that's been happening. And so how, so the chances that he's wrong about the next thing is pretty unlikely. So those interviews are outstanding. Brian Rose, he's a, he's torn. He's got a schism. He's, he's trying, he still thinks he's managing a career of some kind. So he hasn't surrendered completely to, to truth, but wow, has he ever taken a lot of risks commercially to follow truth in this time and follow um, freedom of speech. And so kudos to him. And uh, they've just brought us a series of three outstanding interviews. So if you want to know really the fundamental truth of the matter, the, those guys are bringing it uh, in a raw fashion. The two guys that I think would have been good during this time is, are Mark Passio and um, Jordan Peterson, and they've both been taken out for different reasons. And nobody actually has suggested conspiracy on that. It's just incredible timing. But Jordan Peterson's channel has suggested that he brought this on himself. He got addicted to anti-anxiety medication, and then and he had to, he's been going through all kinds of different therapies around that. And so that's why he's not public at the moment. He's quietly working on his next book. Um, and Mark Passio had a had a, a loved one die suddenly right when this all broke, like right around mid-February or maybe the third week in February. And so he's probably been grieving um, and dealing with that. And so he's been completely silent. He started. He made an appearance on. Alex Jones, don't get me started about Alex Jones, but he made an appearance on InfoWars just like a couple of days ago. Um, but otherwise, his podcast has been quiet, and he's working on a documentary, which is great. God bless you, Mark. Can't wait till you come back. But um, but uh, he's been so. Those are two voices that have been and two voices I would have gone to quickly. Uh, and Ike, you know, I've had I've flip flopped on Ike. Uh, somebody tipped me off to him in uh, 2002 and I bought a book uh, Children of the Matrix and I just couldn't get on to it and then I went through a phase where I thought he was bang on and then I went through a phase where I was I wasn't really sure I could handle <laughs> his truths and anyway this during this time he's been just he's just been an absolute rock of, of um, insight so I highly recommend London Real Brian Rose and, and David Icke just I'm not saying the channel because uh, Brian Rose is taking all kinds of people on there. But the David Icke interview series is excellent. Um, and he lets, he lets David talk. He doesn't interfere. He lets him talk. Okay, so let's go through a quick list. Uh, and my battery's dying as well here. <laughs> so let's go through a quick list of the major disappointments. And then I'll give you the tips. And I'll also share the links in my, in my post here. But the major disappointments, oh my God, the intellectual dark web, those guys, I think I said they're kind of infertile, or what did I, what did I say? I said sterile. Sterile is the word I used before. They're completely sterile. Okay, Rogan is a white female Oprah. I mean, he, that's how useless. And I know that he came on the stage knowing what truth is, but he's just pandering to an audience. He's going to start giving away cars underneath the seats of his guests and he's just getting Hollywood stars to promote his <laughs> to promote their movies now that he doesn't stand for anything he's just pandering to his popularity so massive disappointment there rebel wisdom oh my god they've built a platform now I'm not taking away from the work they the men's work that they do offline I'm sure it's excellent and I wanted to go to a workshop of theirs last year 
and they've done so many good things. And the, the way they handled the Jordan Peterson phenomenon was outstanding. They've done so many great things and some really great thinkers uh, in recent times. Uh, ooh, I can't remember some of their names. But there's like three guy intellectuals they've been having in, in different debates, and they're really, they're really good in their field. But the, all of them, in, without maybe Jordan Hall, I'm not sure where he's at on this particular. I'll give him a pass. But in every other case, and in definitely that channel, who has promoted themselves as a sense-making mechanism, okay, and of real hard-hitting journalists, okay, they are completely, completely missed the story here. <laughs> they dropped the ball. Not only that, I just watched the recent Sour Grapes Blast from, I'm sorry, I don't know the two guys' names at Rebel Wisdom. But he's just literally having a crybaby moment because Brian Rose caught the story with Ike and got behind it, and Rebel Wisdom missed it. Rebel Wisdom has missed the hoax that this thing is, and the reason they have is because they still believe in, in mainstream media because that's where they came from, I guess. So, wow, completely bald, no sense-making happening there. They really, 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 really have dropped the ball. Um the Weinstein brothers, oh my God, have you ever seen a team that should have cracked this thing, like completely blown it out of the water from day one? It's those two. Um, Eric is an expert in modeling, in, in mathematical modeling, and his brother is an expert in, in evolutionary biology. If you ever have seen, and also genetics, he knows a lot about genetics and DNA. Uh... If you've ever seen a pair that should have cracked this thing from day one, it's those two. And they completely have missed the story. Uh, Ruben, softball, mainstream. I haven't heard anything meaningful from there. I haven't, I haven't tried really hard. Shapiro, he's just too caught up in the politics of it all. Uh, because I'm sure he has his own political aspirations. So he's not saying anything useful. Uh, Sam Harris, I'm just looking at the headlines of the guests and things he's covering. The last one was... a. Uh, professor at an Israeli college. I'm sorry, uh, Sam, you missed it. Stefan Molyneux, somewhere in the last year, he switched to fairly mainstream softball. He, he, his best thing is just pulling things apart, like factually, like unbelievably. Uh, like you can say, you know, he's got a truth about series. You can say truth about JFK or whatever. I'm not sure what all of his topics have been, but uh, he's outstanding in terms of his research and analysis. But he did, uh, even what he did in this recent mass shooting in Canada, he, very, very weak, very, very mainstream. Somehow Stefan has gone mainstream. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong still with his philosophy. And he, he is, his handling of his situation with the passing of his father has been unbelievably candid and open and vulnerable. And he's gone on this talk show with a Christian... Uh, pastor of some kind and they've had outstanding exchanges about relationship with father which also ha and forgiveness and all these things and it also underpins um you know your life philosophies and he so he's been very open so again with all of these guys i'm not judging the person and i'm not judging their minds their minds are great but um their instincts have failed them and they have gone too mainstream and they're missing the story crowder i haven't really tried but i don't think he's saying anything uh, that's not mainstream. Uh, no one in the mainstream. I heard that uh, Tucker Carlson was starting to ask some good questions, but generally, I can't even look at mainstream. It's just they're just taking government press releases and reading them. <laughs> generally, um, 
Okay, so the guys that have got me through this, my sense makers, and most of these are new to me um, because I'm following my instincts of what sounds true and what's lining up to what's happening around us. Jeff Berwick, like he's actually, in, in many ways, he's actually been more predictive in some ways, let's say in some ways. Um, because, like literally, he's got predictions that have come true over the last decade, perfectly true. He has a book called Shemitah Timing, and it's some kind of a Jewish calendar that uh, I don't know much about, but it's helping him predict the calendar perfectly of these events. And he's profiting, you know, good on him. <laughs> he's profiting. He's, he's built his business to prepare for the crash of the markets and the dollar. Like, kudos to you. And he's helping, his business is helping other people do the same. So kudos to you, Jeff. And But he's doing daily, almost daily, once every day or every second day blasts from Mexico City mostly and uh, he's bringing he's doing his own dot connector bringing it bringing the analysis from a bunch of different sources and he's just such a great source for sense making um, so I can't say enough about Jeff Berwick at Dollar Vigilante God bless you man keep it coming you've been an outstanding source for sense making for me uh, Max Egan at Crow House, they're a nice resonance those two they're actually uh, reinforcing each other's messages but um, but in a very, you know, very different angles. But they both do these walk and talks with their selfie sticks in fairly remote areas, I guess you can say. And Max is in the outback somewhere in a shack, um, so he was, you know, he was physically prepared for this. And there's everything they're saying is is bang on. Um, and I guess when I'm talking about those two, Ole Damagard is kind of in that circle, and uh, Ole Ole hasn't been doing a lot. Of, well. I shouldn't say that. Uh, the the source that I've been watching with Ole, uh, he's been doing blasts with his wife every second day, uh, Kim and Ole on Kim's Illusion channel on on YouTube, and it's just it's a spiritual. They're not talking about outrage, and they're not even talking that much about false flags, which is Ole's expertise. But they're talking about coping coping mechanisms of how to kind of endure this. Um, uh, so. I would just say thanks to you both for for keeping the sanity and keeping the peace coming, the love and light messages coming, and you've been unbelievably open with your lives and sharing with your community. And then what I've been doing with Ole's work is going back with some of his uh, hard-hitting false flag analysis, and it's unbelievably helpful for what's happening today. So he's a, he's a great source for understanding the dynamics of a false flag and the psychology of a false flag and why anybody would fake such a thing. He's got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of work that's public and he's even predicted many, many public false flags. And on the surface, he's kind of glanced at the Canadian mass shooting and he would say just by some of the, some of the telltale signs are there that it was a false flag. And the one thing that came out of Stefan Molyneux's analysis was that they closed the whole crime scene. Nobody could actually go verify the story themselves personally. So, I mean, I know there's that's a, that's an excuse you could for investigation, but it, the way it came across is like something suspicious is going on there, for sure. So his first blush, he hasn't done the analysis on it, is that that's a, that's a telltale false flag, that Canadian uh, mass shooting in the East Coast. Um, Sage of Quay, Mike Williams. Wow, that man, he's been awesome. I didn't know anything about him before. He's had Ole on. That's how I got onto his channel.
but he's been having his own personal experience with medical centers and, and sick loved ones. So he's got a good angle there, not to mention that he was just cutting through the whole palava right from the start. So Mike Williams, Sage of Quay. E. Michael Jones, this guy, he's brand new to me in the last week, but he's got a book that I just bought called Logos Rising. And he's got the history of sense-making, essentially, Christian sense-making. I mean, it's Christian-grounded, but it, it, it came along before Christianity. Um, and so he is outstanding. If you're kind of missing the logic and philosophy of Jordan Peterson right now, I strongly recommend E. Michael Jones and his channel at culturewars.com. And I think his book is going to nail this thing out of the park. Uh True Stream Media, I don't know much about her. I think she's an IT person, but again, she's another person that saw this coming completely. So you can go back 6, 8, 10, 12 months of her videos, and she's got incredible insight of what's coming and, and how to think about it and the thinking behind some of the stuff that's happening. And she's also really engaging. She, she cross-links with uh, sci-fi movies a lot as well. So she's really entertaining and spot on. Corbett Report. That guy is a Canadian. I'm sorry, I don't know his actual name. But there's two guys, two Canadians in Vancouver. I'll try and find the other one. I think they're both in Vancouver. And Vancouver is like communist Canada. I mean, the fact that these guys have somehow kept their noodles straight in, in Vancouver is incredible to me. So he's outstanding. Richie from Boston, he turned me off uh, maybe a year ago. I just thought he was just too much of a caricature <laughs> of a pissed-off Boston guy. But wow, has he ever been on with with this whole with this whole uh, development? So if you want to kind of see almost like the scary dystopian aspect in the military rolling in and in the U.S., Richie from Boston is outstanding, and he's he's tuned into his outrage as well. I think it was Corbett Report that did an outstanding. Um, Kind of a letter to the future a couple of weeks ago if you can find that i'll try and i'll try and share the pdf but it's really really moving in terms of the failure if we don't snap the fence sitters out of this um, to wake up and resist the ridiculousness of all this um, so it's really really uh, uh, heartfelt message to the future that he did um, dana ashley i don't know much about her she's almost too polished i think she's an american in you in the UK, I'm not 100% sure about that, but she has been great. So I, 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 you know, I get a little suspicious when it's like it seems almost produced. It's so good, <laughs> but her message is outstanding. Um, so she cut, she's been cutting right through it. And you're not going to probably find a lot of these people on YouTube anymore. You have to go to BitChute or uh, Library L B R Y uh, for most of these. Um, yes. Uh, Computing Forever, that's the red-headed uh, Irish guy. I don't know his name either, but he's, an, he's definitely an IT guy and a sci-fi guy, I'm sure. Um, but he's, he's taken a long time to cut through the, the ridiculousness of it, but he's seeing the police state for what it is, and he's, he's doing great analysis and great hard-hitting messages on his, his analysis. Now, I've kind of stumbled on this psychotherapist. His name is Richard Grannon. But he often makes parallels between what's happening in your psychology and what's happening in the world. So that's kind of what I was trying to do with the micro and macro analysis of the shadow work. And that's really, he, he, he 
often eludes, you know, like I guess, I guess um, Stockholm Syndrome is a perfect example. That's, ha that's something that's happening on a macro, but it's also happening in our psychology. So he's, he's been great. He's really engaging, but he's more therapeutic. So, or sorry, psychotherapeutic. So he's, you know, if you want to know about narcissists or you want to know about OCD, he's got a lot of insight there through his own life experience, as well as his training, it sounds like. Um, finally, there's a doctor, Jennifer Daniels. She's on my website. She's on YouTube. Uh, she sees it for what it is because she had her license taken away for healing people. She's a Harvard medical doctor, and she's in uh, exile somewhere in South America or Central America, I think. Um, and uh, she's outstanding. She sees this from the medical perspective and from the political perspective. Okay, so that's it. I'll, I'll wrap up now. Um, but in terms of where for here, from here, I think the best advice I can get is the last 10 minutes of the Rose Ike interview three, uh, where they're talking about listening to your heart and following your truth and following truth, both. <laughs> okay, so I, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'll try and make these more frequent because I have found this so comforting. To wake up and every second day I get a blast from Jeff in Mexico City or I get a blast from Max in the Outback in Australia or I get a blast from Ole and Kim in uh, Spain. Uh, people that are resonating with my sense making and it's just comforting. It's a new tribe basically and so I will try, I will try and do the same. Um, probably not every second day. But I will be following my truth and following my heart, and uh, I'll be having updates, and I'll keep them generally to 50 minutes or so or less. That's what Jeff's been doing, and I think that that's, that's about right. I would love to... The walk and talk is really nice. There's a beautiful beach here where I am. Um, I could do that, but a selfie stick would draw so much attention. I'm not sure I can get away with that. Um, but anyway, I could definitely walk and talk with my headset, so uh, I'll think about that as well. Please give me feedback, what you'd like to hear more of, um, and questions, and, uh, and I will package this up and try and clean this up. glad we reconnected. I went a little bit over my 60-minute commitment, but I hope um, you enjoyed. I enjoyed reconnecting with the channel, and um, let's get the community rallied. You can join us at the website, synthesismeaning.me. The podcast history is there in the podcast section. Uh, we have a mail list. We have a Facebook group. All the information is there for around connecting. Um, and I will uh, get back to you next week uh, with follow-up, following my heart and truth. So thanks for joining us. Nice to be together again in this uh, post-apocalypse radio station. Take care. <laughs>